What up, what up, party people? Welcome to the There's More podcast. So pumped you're here. My name is Hannah Nitz. I'm the host of this little ditty, and I love talking about the more with God. So many of us think that we have all there is to God. Like, we've heard most of the stories. We've gone through a lot of Bible studies. We've been involved in small groups in our church, and we know the basics. Like, is there, <laughs> is there really more for me? And for a long time, I didn't think there was. And then two years ago, bam, God hit me with it. Opened my eyes to it. Revealed it to my heart. Man, that there's so much more to know and enjoy and delight in him. So that's what we talk about every episode. And today, we're talking about being a quarterback for God's glory. So here we go. I think that one big lesson or shift or thing that I woke up to in the last couple of years was God's glory. I would say that that would be on a list, maybe a long list <laughs> of um, things that God has really opened my eyes to. And I would say have be are a part of the more of God is like, my friend Laura Veal has described it as like waking up to these realities of God that our eyes were just closed to, like these pieces of God that we didn't know or these pieces of ourself or these truths that we were Christians and we love God, but we were missing these huge pieces. And um, I think that's the story of all of us as believers. You know, you think of the word sanctification, uh, which is a word throughout the Bible essentially used to describe the process of becoming more like God, our sanctification. So uh, as you read the scripture and get to know God, you see that our hope would be that we would know the least about God and be the least like him the day we come to know him. And then until we leave this earth, Every day is this slow growth with God, this like spiritual growth, sanctification. So part of that for me over the last two years has been about God's glory and understanding that in a way that I just never saw before. Like how Laura describes it as waking up to this understanding of God's glory. Now, here's the confusing thing about that is if you have known me for a long time or interact with me in different ways, you would have heard me talk about God's glory a lot. And in the last 10 years as an adult Christian working in ministries, volunteering, leading small groups and Bible studies, I talked about God's glory all the time. And what I want to talk about today is this wake up, this shift on what God's glory, uh, what I thought it was versus what it is and how I'm a part of God's glory. When I was in college, I had the amazing honor of spending a semester out in Colorado Springs at this place called uh, Focus Leadership Institute. And it was a part of Focus on the Family, started by James Dobson out in beautiful Colorado. 
And it was a semester-long, essentially, leadership program that talked, it was the bomb, but it was like all about taking God and God's truth and applying it to all these different areas of life. So we did a class on uh, like leadership and a class on marriage and family and a class like an apologetics type class. Like it was an incredible semester. And one of the professors out there, Del Tackett, um, he's the author of The Truth Project and so many other baller projects and books and smart things, um, talked about this phrase, sole deo gloria. And it was this phrase, I believe that's in Latin. I should probably Google it. (laughs) The age-old problem that I never, ever look stuff up before I just start rambling about it on the podcast. This phrase, solo deo gloria, which meant only for God's glory. And he told this story of, um, like, again, I should have Googled this, like a famous musician or author, all of these like important people throughout history who would write sole deo gloria on their work. Essentially saying like everything we do, everything we create, all that we are is for God's glory. And our focus is God's glory. I mean, I remember learning this in 2008, that would have been. And it feeling transformative and it feeling like understanding that everything I do could be for God's glory. Um, and I, I work to walk that out. I mean, even in our, our wedding vows uh, in 2010, the first line of our wedding vows that Caleb and I wrote were by God's grace and for God's glory. And that's a phrase that we use all the time as we talk about our marriage. Like this is only possible by his grace. And the whole purpose of our marriage is for God's glory. So um, actually, my friend, I used to talk about this so often, this phrase, sole deo gloria, and how much I wanted it to be about everything I did. I wanted this phrase to be so important and so at the forefront of who I was. Um, My friend, Tasha Nickler, so she is like the best gift giver ever and I am the absolute worst at thank you notes Tasha I owe you probably a dozen thank you notes for the overly generous gifts that you always send to me and my sweet son and here's my formal apology for being horrible at (laughs) thank you notes um but she bought me this really adorable bag that she had like custom made at some point throughout our friendship And it had like four or five words that were important to me on it. So it had Eternal Optimist, Akron, Ohio, Caleb and Harvey. And then it had the phrase Sole Deo Gloria on it, which I think gives you some indication that I've talked about this concept and I've talked about this phrase a lot. So that being said, how in the world could I have gotten it wrong? (laughs) maybe not gotten it wrong, but like, how could this be something that I felt so passionate about for my last 10 years as a Christian, which you guys have heard me talk about. I was the the busiest Christian in Northeast Ohio. I was very focused on all I was doing for God. So sola deo gloria, everything being for his glory was kind of like my tagline. So how is it possible that now 
in the last two years, as God has wrecked and rewrote my understanding of him and of myself, that this phrase and this concept of God's glory has been such a wake-up moment. Like, how could it be such a shift? And that's what I want to dive more into today. So I'm going to start with a sports analogy, kind of a metaphor to draw these two illustrations. And then I'm going to kind of walk out these two different versions of my understanding of God's glory and this phrase of everything I do, sola deo gloria, being about God's glory. And my hope, dear friend, is that as you're listening, you can kind of take an assessment of like, man, how am I viewing God's glory and how am I viewing my part in it? What I would say for the last 10 years when this phrase was such a big deal to me and this concept of God's glory was such a big deal is I wanted everyone to see God and what I was doing. Like I wanted it to be about God and his glory and everything. But my understanding of my piece of that, I would relate to being a quarterback of a football team. So if I ask you, who just won in 2021 the Super Bowl? The answer is Tampa Bay Buccaneers. However, I feel like a lot of you probably thought to yourself, Tom Brady, because he's a big deal, right? Like the dude played for a different football team for an insane amount of time, broke all kind of records, went to the Super Bowl year after year after year. He switches to a different team this year, and out of nowhere, that new team makes it to the Super Bowl and wins. Clearly, Tom Brady is a big part of what is happening on that football team, on the field at all, you know? So the answer, who won the Super Bowl? It's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But again, you can't help but picture that handsome smile of Tom Brady. Uh, When you picture the winning team, you see his face. When you think about this winning Super Bowl team, You think about his interview, the articles on how Tom Brady is a goat and is just an insane football machine. He is a huge part of Tampa Bay Buccaneers win. And friends, this is how I interacted with this thought of everything being about God's glory. Sola Deo Gloria. I was like, I'm on God's team Like, if you ask who wins, who gets the credit, it's God. Like, I'm on God's football team. He wins. He won the Super Bowl. But Hannah Nitz is the freaking quarterback. Like, my plays that that I'm running, my, you know, choice of putting on this jersey that's God's team, my, like, part of being a part of God's team, like, because of what I'm doing and my involvement, God is getting the glory. Now, that doesn't sound horrible. Like, God's still getting the glory. It's still God's team. I think he wants us to play a a big part. You know, you read these verses that are so beautiful and so encouraging of like, 
God has prepared these good works for us to do. Like we are clearly a part of God's team. Um, But friends, so much of how I viewed this God's glory was I was a big deal. I was a big part of the team and God should be glad that he had me on his team. That's really how I felt. Like I did him a solid. Like it's like Tom Brady choosing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over his last team. It's like, dang, Tom Brady made a huge change on that team. And friends, I think in these last two years, the shift that I would uh, say God has opened my eyes to and that I would encourage you to think through is instead of the quarterback, it's kind of like I've become a jockey, like a horse jockey. So think about the Kentucky Derby. Every year as the Kentucky Derby takes place and happens, and you say, who won the Kentucky Derby? You hear the name of this weird horse name. Don't they always have weird names? I should have looked up who won it last year. See, Hannah, get on Google before you start recording a podcast. Who won the Kentucky Derby? You hear the name of the horse. Honestly, you really rarely hear the name of the jockey. (laughs) Like, for some reason, the dude riding the horse gets very little attention and very little credit. It is the horse who won. And you do not know, for the most part, that other dude's name. And I think this analogy, like, helps me understand or explain this shift or try to explain it. I've tried to explain (laughs) this with this analogy to my husband. Just saying, like, if you picture the Kentucky Derby, the jockey plays an important part, but literally the jockey's legs aren't even moving. Like, the horse is doing all of the work. The horse is the one running the race, putting in the effort, running, moving around, having to jump over these other horses and and get through the finish line. Was the jockey a part of that equation? Yeah. But in a way, with my very limited knowledge on horse racing, they're just like along for the ride. Like they're on top of what the horse is doing. When they win, the horse gets all of the credit. The horse's name goes on everything. And the horse is in all the pictures. (laughs) And this shift in my understanding of what kind of athlete I am in the game, I guess, in the world of God's glory. This is really the image that I think describes this shift. Truly, when I was the quarterback of God's glory, I would say that my definition was like, I'm pointing to God. Like in order to give God glory, I'm in what I'm doing pointing to God. In this horse jockey understanding (laughs) of God's glory, I now see it as God's including me in what he's doing. It's no longer like, hey, Hannah, the quarterback of the team, the star of the show, and after I score that touchdown, I just point up to heaven and be like, yeah, God, while the camera's still on me, as opposed to God including me in what he's doing. 
Like he's the horse. He's the race. He's the victor. He's the one crossing the line and just invites me to get on his back. So I want to talk through a few different other um, contrasts. If we talk about the quarterback way of giving God glory versus the jockey way of giving God glory. And sweet friends, I just want to emphasize and share that with all of these podcasts, all of these conversations, this is just an outpouring of my experience, of my aha moments with God, with my tasting and delighting in him and in the more. Um, but this isn't like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm making this up as I go, okay? <laughs> like, this is me opening my journal and just explaining these differences that God has taught me and inviting you to say, like, can you think about these things and process these the same? But you know what? If the quarterback horse jockey analogy doesn't get your gears going, just ignore it. Just skip to the next episode. We're cool. But if it does pique your interest. I'm going to I'm going to walk this out a little bit, okay? In the quarterback way of giving God glory, I would say the thing that I felt was most important was my godly activity. So I would look at um leading Bible study, at talking to people about God, at being involved in ministry about being at work and having a conversation with someone else about God as the ways that I gave God glory. Like my involvement in godly things was glorifying to God. This is a lesson I'm still wrestling with and still learning, but I would say in the horse jockey way of understanding God's glory, I give God glory in all things, not just godly activity. So I want to read in Romans 12 in the message because I feel like the message version of this verse is a beautiful picture of this concept. Romans 12, 1 through 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. I don't know. I think the way that I saw this like giving God glory, giving him credit, pointing to the goodness of God in all things, I really only saw that that would be possible in godly activity. And yeah, this idea that no, no, like God can be glorified in all things, in my everyday ordinary life, in my sleeping, in my paying my mortgage, in my playing with my son and folding my family's laundry. These things can be glorifying to God. Now, this one I still haven't fully wrapped my mind around (laughs) because it's kind of a trippy concept, but you can see in this horse jockey way where I'm just the jockey and I'm just riding the horse. I'm just riding what God's doing in his glory. Him really opening our eyes to see like he is in all things and all things can be a revelation of God, not just these things that feel 
or we label innately as spiritual activity. I would say in the quarterback way of uh, bringing God glory, in any conversation I had, interaction with someone, uh, from a doctor's appointment to a college professor to a new friend that I met or someone who showed up to my house for a dinner I was having, I wanted people to know I was a Christian. Like That was so important to me that Somewhere throughout the conversation, I could talk about going to church or I could talk about believing in God or something would point their eyes to know that whose team I was on. Like, hey, I don't know if you noticed, but the back of my jersey says knits, but the front of it says team Jesus. (laughs) Like, I wanted people to know that I was a Christian. I would say in this new understanding of God's glory man, I want people to hear about God. And those are two very different things. Again, that first column, it's almost, it's about God, but it's about me. Like it was my godly activity. It was me wanting people to know that I'm a Christian. As opposed to, man, God is in all things. The revelation of God is in all things. And the thing I want with any conversation I'm having with anyone is I want them to hear about God. I thought of this verse in 2 Peter 1 because I feel like Peter had the same um, understanding, I'm sure significantly deeper, (laughs) but a deep understanding of God's glory, meaning not just that they want people to know Peter's a Christian, but man, I want people to hear about God. And in 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15, Peter says, therefore, I intend to always remind you of these qualities. So these things he's talking about earlier in this chapter about um, how we can know God. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it's right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that putting off of the body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me, I will make every effort so that in my departure you may be able to recall these things. And again, these things he's talking about how to know God. So, Peter knows he's going to die soon. And he's not like, man, I just really hope that I made an impact and people knew that I knew God. Like, I really hope they know whose team I was playing on. He's like, no, no. The thing that keeps me up at night is I want people to hear about God. And I feel this shift. I feel um, the... Uh, Laura Veal says that a large view of self forces a small view of God. And the opposite is also true, that the larger our view of God becomes, the smaller the focus is on ourself. And this is what it was for me in God's glory. Like God was important. He was who I wanted people to see. But I was such a big part of that, that my view of God actually became kind of small, like I was more focused on people knowing I was a Christian than I was actually talking to them about who God was. I think another one of these shifts uh, 
when I was the quarterback of God's glory team is I really thought the bigger the better. And I took this very literally, (laughs) very seriously. So let's say that I had the option between um, helping lead a women's conference with 400 women in attendance, which was something I did for my job, planning that, coordinating that, leading that so that that event could happen, or meeting someone, one person, every week to slowly, behind the scenes, disciple them and help them read the Bible. If you were to ask, which of these would bring God more glory? If I'm being really, really honest, I think the filter that I used often was the bigger, the better. If more eyes are being pointed to God and who he is, that one is clearly where God would want me to be. If one of these is having a bigger impact, then obviously that's where God would want me to be. And friends, this is why for years I was led to choosing, serving God, and doing things for God over this quiet, secret, one-on-one time with him each day in his word and in prayer. Because the bigger, the better. Like, I want to be doing, like, the quarterback. I want to win the Super Bowl. I'm not trying to play peewee football out here. You know what I mean? Like, God is so awesome. I need him to get all the credit on the biggest stage I can possibly get on. The bigger, the better. I think my shift in this now in understanding God's glory is that God is not always looking for the bigger, for it to be better, um, but the obedient. And I want to share this example in James 2. This is a verse that I have talked about before on the podcast because it was so transformative in me understanding what it looks like to give God glory and what it looks like to be obedient to him. And that bigger is not always better. And bigger is not what God always has his eye on. I want to read in James 2. Um, James 2 is a verse that people actually have brought up to me a lot when I talk about building this desire for God more than doing things for God. And very often people will say, well, faith without works is dead, you know. James 2, if uh, a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Verse 17, so also faith by itself and does not have works is dead. I a thousand percent agree with this. Like it is very, very important that we are not just having faith and believing in God, but walking it out in our works. But man, the second half of this um, teaching is so, so, so important because in a way, it's easy to read those verses in James 2 of like, okay, faith without works is dead. You, You can't just, you know, say, go in peace, I'll pray for you, but like get out and help them, like do it. This is where I I started to understand, like, the bigger the better. Like, I want to have an impact. I want my works to be significant. I want to make this huge ripple in what I'm doing. 
But if you keep reading in James 2, uh, we are given two examples of someone who does this well, of two people who do this well, of who demonstrate their faith through their works. And let me read you these two examples. James 2, starting in 21. The first example is Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, so let's do a quick recap on in the Old Testament. What did Abraham do? So God told Abraham, take your son up on the mountain and use him on the altar as a sacrifice for me, which this was a big deal on a lot of levels. Um, but Isaac was a part of this promise from God and this like son he was supposed to have that was a big deal. And God said, you know, that son that I promised you and here he is and he's the light of your life. I need you to literally sacrifice him for me. Go kill him. Can you even imagine how trippy that is? <laughs> So he takes them up on the mountain obediently, just Abraham and Isaac chilling up on this mountain. Isaac's skipping up the hill thinking they're having a good father-son trip. And Abraham's like, bro, you don't even know I'm about to kill you. This is heartbreaking. And in the final moment, as Abraham is about to kill Isaac for the sake of God up on an altar, God says, hey, stop. I don't want you to do this. But essentially, like, I wanted to see that you were willing. I wanted to see this faith with your works, like this willingness for you to be obedient and follow me no matter what I'm asking. Now, guys, this is the example that James 2 gives us on what it looks like to be obedient. Like this is the example of our faith being in union with our works. Now, here's the deal. In my old filter of the quarterback glory lifestyle, the bigger the better, this makes no sense. Abraham wasn't asked to start this giant ministry, and God gave that as an example. Abraham didn't sell all he had and, like, go across town to start this whole following of God Abraham didn't feed thousands of people out of obedience. This giving God glory in this situation, this obedient story, impacted no one. It was Abraham and Isaac up on a mountain. No one else saw it. No one else was impacted by it. He wasn't, it wasn't the Super Bowl. It was Pee Wee football. (laughs) Like it was... Just God, Abraham, and Isaac. And this is the example of works that are pleasing to God and giving him glory. Like this small act, although large, painful, of obedience that may impact no one. 
This can be a way that God asks us to give him glory. Before, I would always choose the bigger stage, the bigger crowd, the larger Bible study I lead. But in this horse jockey life where it is God doing the work, I'm like, man, God, all I want to do is be obedient. I don't need the biggest stage. I don't need to see how many people in one day I can get to hear about you. I want to be where you want me to be. And thank you for including me in that work. And no matter what it is, I will point to you and I will say it was for God's glory. In the quarterback way of giving God glory, I was very, very focused on using my gifts, which isn't a bad thing. (laughs) That's the thing I want to keep coming back to. Like this quarterback way of giving God glory, a lot of this is still like very rightly motivated and a pure heart of like wanting to please God. I think just sometimes it has too much of us in it that we sneak in here a little bit too much. So for example, using my gifts, we are told all throughout scripture that like God has gifted us uniquely. Each of us have different spiritual gifts, have a way that God made us. Like he, he says that we're like a part of a physical body. Like some of us are hands, some of us are kneecaps, some of us are feet. Some of us who talk a lot and are loud laughers, maybe like me, are the mouth. We each are a different part of the body and we function in that part. That is 100% true. But I was so focused on using my gifts. I was so focused on what I did for God's glory lining up with what I was good at and what I was gifted in. And this line became a little blurry sometimes of like, oh man, did did God give me this gift? Or am I just a really good public speaker and I should just be on stages all the time speaking? Like, I was always drawn to things that I knew I would be good at because I, I like was like, I need to use my gifts for God's glory. That was always on the front of my mind is use my gifts for God's glory. And friends, I would say this horse jockey way, this um, maybe slight shift in understanding God's glory is instead of can I use my gifts? Can I use my gifts? Can I use my gifts? This nagging question being, Am I being led by the Spirit? Colossians 1, 29, um, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all God's energy that he powerfully works within me. Man, this idea of being led and powered by the Spirit Not like Hannah is gifted in this area by God. So I need to do things that make Hannah use my gifts. Instead, man, I want this this summary that Paul is giving of how hard he's working for people to know God. That he says, man, I toil, I work, but I am struggling with God's energy that he powerfully works within me. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And there was so long that I just was like, man, if I'm good at this, then God must have wanted me to use it. And that's for his glory, right? 
as opposed to this constant dependence of God. I want to be led by your spirit. I want to be filled with your energy. I want nothing that's happening to be out of my own strength, my own ambition, my own idea, but I am led by your spirit and that is giving God glory because it's not just my gifts. It's not just his gifts in me. It's like his energy, his spirit, his leading, all of it being done through him and by him and for him. In this uh, quarterback mentality, I think I really believed that I helped show off God. Like God was really cool, but he kind of needed my help to show how cool he was. <laughs> like, and guys, I really just, I really felt this way. Like God was great, but he really needed a, a good marketer. Like if, if I'm fun and outgoing or, you know, I have these different friends and these relationships, like maybe if people who think I'm cool then hear about God, then maybe they'll think God's cool. Like I help show off God. I think a big shift in that has been realizing that, no, God shows off. He doesn't need my help. He includes me. He invites me in. But God is so amazing and his glory is so huge and beautiful and just insanely impossible to wrap my mind around that he doesn't need my help showing off how cool and awesome he is. I recently was struck by this, even in John 12, as Jesus is talking about this. Um, I read this really intriguing question recently that said, did Jesus die to save us? Or why did Jesus die? And, and like the question was, was it to save us or was it for God? And essentially like going through all of these verses saying like, God's, Jesus's focus in dying was for God's glory. And he did that through saving us. But saving us wasn't the goal. God's glory was. All these things that we're talking about, like him being obedient in all things, wanting people to hear about God, being completely led by the Spirit, showing off the goodness of God. Like this was Jesus's focus. And I saw this in John 12, just this week, uh, verse 27 through 36. Jesus is saying, now is my soul troubled? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. We're like approaching his crucifixion here. And he says, but for this purpose, I have come. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Like this idea that God is showing off and he includes me in it. I get to be a part of it, but I'm not the quarterback. Like it's not like if I drop the ball, someone isn't going to get a glimpse of this beauty and goodness of God. I have really wanted to talk about this for a long time, but I haven't known how to and how to put words to it. 
And I'm still not quite there. Like, it's very possible you listen to this podcast episode and you're like, yeah, I didn't understand that. If so, sorry about that. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't 40 minutes wasted. Um, but the shift, friends, has felt so significant that the larger my view of God has grown, the smaller the view of myself has become. And that I still want everything I do to be sola deo gloria. I still want everything to be about God's glory. But this understanding where I was of like, it's my job to point to God versus God is just graciously including me in what he's doing. I was at the center of all of this in a very Christian world doing very Christian things. It was about God's glory, but I really needed people to know that I was a part of it. My father-in-law, Mark Nitz, hello, Mark, (laughs) thank you, uh, gave me this book called Reading the Bible Supernaturally, and it's by John Piper, and it's mega long. It's like 500 pages long. I'm a very slow reader. I'm on page like 40, but thankfully, (laughs) in the first 40 pages, It really talks a lot about God's glory. And uh, John Piper said, if we are on the right track, the only hope for seeing the glory of God in scripture is that God will cut away the diamond hard idolatry substitutes for the glory of God that are packed into our heart. When this miracle happens, the glory of God cuts and burns and melts and removes from our heart the suicidal cement of ourselves. Where we saw only foolishness before, we now see the all-satisfying beauty of God. God has done this supernaturally. I want to just mention that and talk through that a tad because this work of saying like, God, I want to see your glory and understand you in the scripture as opposed to like my part in this scripture in your story understanding this is a miracle and John Piper says this like man for us to get a taste of the glory of God and then he said cut and burn and melt and remove ourselves from the story and from the equation is only done supernaturally. So friend, if you're listening to this and you're like, dang, I'm, I really think I'm important. I really think I'm the quarterback. <laughs> I feel ya. I was there for a long time. And moving away from that and grasping how big and how good God is and that his glory is so consuming and we just get to ride the coattails of that. That is a supernatural, heart-enlightened, eye-opening experience from the Spirit of God coming into your heart and your life and transforming you. And friend, I pray with you that that will happen. Like, I beg God to open the eyes of the church for more and more and more of us to get a taste of this glory. I'll end with... uh, this other piece that John Piper talked about in this book about how we focus on God's glory. And essentially, he talks through that God must become, a theme I talk about a lot, 
the most satisfying thing in our life. Friends, when I lived in this mindset that I was the quarterback, if I'm really honest, it's because the most satisfying thing to me was doing something that mattered and that was important. It was being seen as valuable and talented. So, of course, my equation put me as the quarterback because that was the most satisfying thing on the planet to me. Did I love God? Absolutely. Did I want people to know him? Of course I did. But the thing that fueled me was when someone would be like, man, Hannah, you're doing a great job. You are really talented. And that fuel put me as the quarterback. So how instead do we focus on God getting that glory? All of it, not just a part of it but all of it. It's when he becomes our most satisfying thing. John Piper says, the glory of God. The glory of God is a way of saying there is an objective, absolute reality to which all human admiration, wonder, awe, praise, acclaim, and worship are pointing. Everything about who we are is pointing to God with admiration. We were made to find this deepest pleasure in admiring what is infinitely admirable, which is God and the glory of God. But the hard thing is our worship follows our values. For that's what worship is. It is the experience of valuing and cherishing and treasuring what we perceive to be the greatest treasure of our life. What we treasure, we worship. Lukewarm affection for God gives the impression that he is only moderately pleasing. He is moderately pleasing and he gets our lukewarm worship. Friends, he is not moderately pleasing. He is infinitely pleasing. If we are not intensely pleased and pointing to God's glory in everything that we are, we're missing it. And friends, the only reason I can share any of that is because I was missing it, a huge part of it. And friends, I know that I still am. Like I don't sit in this absolute... um, seat of authority and confidence that I have figured out God's glory. But I've gotten a taste of it. I've gotten a taste of seeing God in all things, of wanting more than anything for people to hear about God, of having a heart that desires to be obedient, even if it puts me in smaller, quieter places than a big stage, of being so led by the Spirit that it often takes me to places where I feel very ill-equipped ill-qualified and not using my gifts and constantly in a spot where I'm saying, God, I want you to show off. Take the stage, take the name, take the credit, take the win, everything, God. Sole Deo Gloria. Hey, if you listen to this podcast on the rig, can you do me a favor? Could you just leave a review and tell me why you listen? 
would really love to hear. Um, if you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever your heart desires, uh, just go ahead and leave a review between one and five stars, whatever you feel about this podcast. <laughs> I'm not giving any input there. And just leave a comment saying why you listen and why you tune in each time there's an episode. I would love to hear. As always, sweet friends, we do this. I scream on the microphone because I just, I want you to taste it. Like, I want you to experience the beauty and the delight of this more with God. Sweet friend, have you heard the news? There is more. Thank you.